Well, I continue this morning in the series that I have been in over the past several months now. It's a series I'm calling Grace, the Undiluted Gospel. And throughout this series, I have served as a medic for the soul, extricating believers from the rubble, extricating believers from the chaos, extricating believers from the darkness, extricating believers from the debris that was caused by the navigation system of old covenant teachings and indoctrinations. And friends, it has been my great honor, it has, it has been my great privilege to minister on the battlefield. And I feel like that's where it's been. In my private study, when I'm wrestling with these messages, I can sense that people are so desperate. Many people are so desperate in the world and they feel like they are on a battlefield and all the scary objects are there and they don't know if they're ever going to get out and they just pray for the silence of the weapons that are being used against them like fear and guilt and shame and condemnation. And so I have essentially felt as though I've been on the battlefield with them providing triage to wounded souls and hearts. Today I'm going to add the eighth message to this series. It's a message I'm calling Copy and Paste Righteousness. Now, I didn't give it that title. I felt like the Lord did. And I wasn't trying to be cute or catchy or clever or even trendy. Rather, I wanted to draw our attention to the reality that we are what we eat. You see, it's impossible to swallow a banana and then vomit an apple. Would you agree with that? Just impossible. We are what we eat, essentially. And far too long, the body of Christ has been reading and feeding from the fiction novel that insinuates that they are less holy or even less righteous than Jesus himself. Come on now, stay with me on this. We've been feeding from that novel far too long, and it's time to set that aside, because you are not less holy. You are not less righteous. Now, I know it sounds more humble for us to believe, somehow, you know, put our, the back of our hand on our forehead and try to humbly believe that our holiness and our righteousness is lesser quality than Jesus's, but... You don't find a meal like this served on any New Covenant menu. Friends, a meal that declares that we are less holy or less righteous than Jesus might be palatable when it's taken in, but it has zero nutrition. It is sugar on cardboard, that is all. Now I want to ask you a question. Why do we believe that we're less holy? Why do we believe that we're less righteous? Now I want you just to pause for a second and arrive at an answer in your heart. Why would I think such a thing? Maybe you don't. Thank God if you don't. But why would I think I'm less holy than Jesus? Why would I think that I'm less righteous than Jesus? We feel like we're less holy or righteous than Jesus because these fiction novels, which show up in the form of sermons, prescribe to its listeners that our day-to-day performances and activities are ultimately weighed on the scales of justice. Therefore, we're going to get what we have coming to us. 
So we have this mindset of weighing the things that we do throughout the day. And friends, I have a newsflash for us. The gospel of grace and the gift of righteousness have tipped the scales of justice in our favor. (laughs) We have been justified. Did you know that a single drop of Jesus' blood far outweighs many lifetimes of sin? Come on. A single drop of Jesus' precious blood. You could live life to 120 years of age, and you could live that life a billion times. And I'm telling you what, one drop of Jesus' blood is more powerful than all the sin that you've accumulated in all of those lifetimes. In Romans chapter 5, verses 20 and 21, I want you to see these words from the Amplified Bible. They're going to come across as very familiar scriptures. It says, But the law came to increase and expand the awareness of the trespass by defining and unmasking sin. Now that is a mouthful right there. It's an earful. It's a heartful. I get it. The Apostle Paul is saying, this was the purpose of the law. It says, the law came to increase and expand the awareness. Did he say anything about that the law came to stop sinning? No. He says, the law came to expand the awareness. And so it increases our awareness of what's wrong. And the Apostle Paul is saying, this was the purpose of the law. It came to increase our awareness and expand our awareness of the trespass, which means sin, by defining, by telling you what it is, what it looks like, how it shows up in our lives, by defining, and then, I love this part, unmasking sin, like it was wearing a mask, like it was disguised. And it reached down like a bank robber's mask and just yanked the mask right off of it and said, this is the reason it came. And then he continues, he says, I love these words. He says, but where sin increased. Sometimes I think, wow, could it get any worse than the days that we're living in right now? And the answer is yes, and it has been worse too. You say, how could it possibly have been worse? Friends, don't you remember the flood? Don't you remember Sodom and Gomorrah? These were rough days, friends. But here's the good news. It says, but where sin increased. We need to take our eyes off of the sin problem, okay? Get our eyes on the sun, not on sin. It says, but where sin increased. And then it says, God's remarkable, gracious gift of grace. That is his unmerited favor has surpassed it and increased all the more so that as sin reigned in death, so also grace would reign through righteousness, which brings eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Come on, we got to stand on these scriptures, folks. This is so awesome. This is so beautiful. We don't get into a sinning match just so that we can see that grace is going to do what it was designed to do. That's just foolishness. But I'm telling you, you cannot out the grace of God. 
It tells us here, where sin populated, where sin abounded, some versions say, where sin increased, grace did much more increase. And those two words, increase or abounded, if you're looking at the King James Version, are two very different words. One means to superabound, and it talks about grace, where sin abounded, where sin was increasing, it's saying grace increased or grace super increased or grace super abounded all the more. Do you see what we have under this covenant? This is so beautiful that it doesn't matter. I don't have to get up in the morning and be concerned about the 9,000 different ways I have in front of me to blow my day. Friends, where sin increased, where sin abounded, it says grace did so much more abound. You know what that helps me do? Not sin. That helps me to value the gift that Jesus gave me. When I look at this gospel of grace that he's somehow stuffed on the inside of me and it's working on the inside of me permeating out of my very pore and my being and my mouth and my eyes does something for me i want you to make note that god's remarkable gracious gift of grace is greater than our sin. If there's nothing else you take away from those scriptures, that God's grace is greater than your sin. It swallows it up, friends. And His unmerited favor of grace reigns, how? Through righteousness. The scriptures talk about the gift of grace, and it talks about the gift of righteousness. You did nothing to earn this gift. What I want us to see through the message today is this. The righteousness that Jesus possesses is the same righteousness that every believer possesses. It's the same type, it's the same quality, and it's the same measure. Come on. It's the same type, quality, and measure. There's no such thing as righteousness senior and righteousness junior. You can look at a father and a son. They may have the same name, but you can go, there's a difference between the two guys. Friends, there is no righteousness senior. There is no righteousness junior. There's no such thing as righteous king and semi-righteous pawn. Believers are not 99 and 44 100s percent righteous, are they? If we are, then we are incomplete. If we are 99 and 44, 100% righteous, then that means we lack fullness. We don't have fullness. And if we are incomplete and we lack fullness, then I've got a question for you. How do we make up the difference? I know it's a very small margin, but if you have to be perfect and you have to be complete, Lacking nothing for heaven, how do we make up the difference? It's a good question, isn't it? A real sincere question. Is it through our performance? No. Is it through our obedience? No. Is it through any of those things that we make up this deficit that reaches toward wholeness? No. 
Pastor Mark, we're only talking about 0.56% to make it 100%. Friends, it's all him or it's not him. Come on, it's all him or not him. Friends, it's not through our performance or obedience that we reach wholeness. We have already been given perfection. We have already been given wholeness. And we have already been given fullness through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Friends, Jesus gave us what he possesses. It's a copy and paste righteousness. We have been made in his likeness an image. Now, if that was true for Adam, that's what the scriptures say in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, that Adam was made in God's likeness, an image. How much more is that true of Holy Spirit living on the inside of us? We are made in his likeness and image. The righteousness that I'm talking about comes by grace through faith, and that's the undiluted gospel. So when I began this series a few weeks ago, I made a courageous statement, a statement that the people who feed on sugared cardboard didn't like. I'm talking about a statement that is not found on any Old Covenant menu. In that first message, you know what I said? I said, our embellishments added to Jesus' finished work of grace are nothing more than graffiti. Do you remember that? Christ, that's what I said. That's the way the Holy Spirit spoke it to me. Nothing more than graffiti. Well, that's kind of an attention-grabbing statement. But what exactly does a statement like that even mean, you ask? Here's what graffiti is. Graffiti is the art that is written, painted, or drawn on a wall or other surface, usually without permission and within public view. Now, you guys have walked through life. You're continuing to walk through life. We see graffiti all the time, don't we? To write a sermon or a song that adds our performance to Jesus' finished work of grace, regardless of the eloquence, regardless of the font, regardless of the colors, is nothing more than graffiti. And every time I see graffiti on the side of a train, that I'm stopped at as the boxcar after boxcar goes by. Every time I see graffiti on the side of a building, I can't help but think where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Friends, to write a sermon or a song that adds anything to Jesus' finished work on the cross is no more than a writing, it's a painting, it's a drawing, without the permission of God, because God is not going to sanction you writing anything that detracts from his son's finished work. In other words, God's not going to sit there and applaud untruths. Now, he's going to love you through that. He's going to help you to do better. He's going to give you a better revelation, but he is not going to whistle for you. He is not going to clap for you. He is not going to pat you on the back and say, that's exactly right if it doesn't amplify his son as the finished work of grace. How many of you would agree with me that graffiti is disrespectful? Come on, it's disrespectful. And why? Because it defaces someone else's property. Somebody owns those buildings. Somebody owns those boxcars. 
It also means that the innocent party, almost always, the innocent party is the one who has to clean up the mess that someone else made. Does this sound a little familiar to you? It should. <laughs> one of the Old Testament prophets would prophesy of the coming of Jesus Christ. He prophesied about the one that was coming to remove the graffiti of sin that covered humanity's heart and clean up our mess. He prophesied that this man himself would be graffitied, spattered and sprinkled, not with a paintbrush, but with fists and clubs and whips and thorns and nails. His portrait would be anything but beautiful. His portrait from the cross would be laden with runs and drips and the errors of sinful humanity. In Isaiah chapter 52, verses 13 through 15, we find these words. Now Isaiah is writing a long time, hundreds of years before Christ would come. But he's looking into the spirit realm and he sees something and he begins to write what he sees. He sees a vision and he writes these words. He says, see my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Who is this he's talking about? The one that was raised high and lifted up and exalted. He's seeing the Christ. I don't know as though he really understands what he's seeing, but he sees the vision. And then he writes, just as there were many who were appalled at him, he says, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. And as I was reading these scriptures yesterday, I had to take time and pause and wipe the tears away from my eyes because I'm trying not to envision this. And at the same time, I can still see it in my heart that this innocent, beautiful Jesus is high and lifted up, the King of glory, the King of righteousness, and the scripture says his appearance was so disfigured. It says beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. And I think this is not hyperbole, friends. These are not filler words. If Isaiah wrote these, Isaiah saw something that he had never seen in his entire life. He saw a man that didn't even look human. This is what happens when you go through the abuse that Jesus went to prior to the cross. Isaiah wrote, I love this part, so he will sprinkle many nations. That's what we're doing with the gospel of grace. We are sprinkling many, many nations, many, many hearts. So he will sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see. And what they have not heard, they will understand. I got a question for you. Can you see the love of Christ 
Can you see the love of Christ for humanity in the prophet Isaiah's writings? Do you see it? What love? We just sang that song, Awesome Love Held You on My Tree. Let me ask you another question. If there would have been a less costly and equally effective way of procuring for us the copy and paste righteousness of Jesus Christ, don't you think the Father who is omniscient, that means he knows all things, don't you think the Father would have found that way? Come on. He would have found a way, friends. He would have made a way. Now, he's God. Can he just speak a word and change everything? This is the power of free will. This is the power that God gave Adam in the garden. He said, I'm giving you dominion over everything upon the earth, every creeping thing. Dominion. This is the power of free will. I just saw it again the other day. This, there's restaurants in China. The entire staff is robot. And they've made them look so real that they look human. I mean, they smile at you. They've got teeth. They, they look so human. It's just uncanny. I mean, it's just bizarre. And from the moment you walk in, they begin to greet you and get your order. And they'll bring your pizza to the table. And they'll take your money and your credit card. God is not looking for this, friends. Because those robots can be programmed with all kinds of languages. They can have every single language programmed on the inside of them. Pretty impressive. Yet, they have no ability to love. They have no ability to really choose. They are programmed. This is not what God was looking for. He's looking for relationship. He's looking for uh, having a time with his people. He's looking for a father, son, and a father, daughter, get together. Does that make sense? Isn't that what you want with your kids? I don't want anybody telling my kids to behave now when they're on their way to see their daddy. I don't want somebody else programming them. See, love has already set their hearts a certain way that they know that their daddy is for them, that their daddy loves them, that their daddy wants to bless them. And so they have no fear when they come that they're going to be rejected on any level whatsoever. Why did Jesus allow his appearance to be so disfigured from the repeated blows of the fists, from the relentless assault from the cat of nine tails? And how about the searing pain from the crown of thorn and the rusty nails? Friends, don't think too long. You'll overlook the simplicity of it. He did all this because He loved us. He loved us. And He wanted to give us what He has. He wanted to give us a copy and paste righteousness, a righteousness that was identical to His. The righteousness that was given to us was given at great cost and great sacrifice. I'm talking about a righteousness that cannot be washed off. It cannot be beat out of you and it cannot be painted over. This is the righteousness we have. 
There were many spectators at the foot of the cross the day that Jesus was crucified. And guess what? Most of them saw. Most of them saw nothing but graffiti. But that's not what the Apostle John saw. And that's not what Mary, the mother of Jesus, saw. And that's not what Mary, the wife of Cleophas, saw. And that's not what Mary Magdalene saw. They didn't see graffiti. They saw love. A love that was painted in his own blood. They beheld righteousness oozing from every pore of his flesh. They were the ones who heard the final words from the king of righteousness when he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. When he said, I'm thirsty. When he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When he said, Father, it is finished. When he said, Daddy, into thy hand, I commit my spirit. He didn't have a lot to say from the cross. But everything he said flowed from a heart of love. Friends, do you see that? The righteousness we possess is actually Christ Jesus Himself. Friends, He gave us Himself. There is no righteousness apart from Christ. He is the gift of righteousness. The Scriptures tell us that He will never leave us nor forsake us. To sin away our righteousness is to sin away Jesus. An impossibility under the new covenant of grace. Why? Because He said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. He said, I have not lost even one of the ones you have given me, Daddy. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 21 we find these words. For He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. I want to draw your attention to three pronouns real quick there. For He, that's God, hath made Him, that's Jesus, to be sin for us, that's you, that's me, that's us, that's we, right? He made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin. Now it's important to distinguish here that he didn't make Christ a sinner. He made Christ a sin offering. Christ was our sin offering. He made him our sin offering because sin has a consequence. Sin has a payment. Sin has a penalty. And Jesus said, Father, I'll pay that price. I'll be their sin bearer. I'll be their sin offering. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, totally innocent, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You can't get it any other way. Let me ask you a couple of questions. How were we made the righteousness of God? Did we follow some sort of 
recipe, a recipe that included many formulations, many steps, many ingredients. Did we follow some sort of recipe? No. What was the process? Well, if we back up four scriptures, we discover our answer. One of the most familiar verses in the New Covenant ministry, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. This is how we were made the righteousness of God in him. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I have a question. Are you feeding on the daily news? Are you feeding on the television news? Are you feeding on the good news? It will make a difference in your life, friends. It really will. When I was 19 years old, I lived with a husband and wife who I worked for. I lived with them for about two years. And they took me into their home and they cherished me like a son. They loved me like a son. One day we were sitting around in the living room and the, the woman got up and she went into the bedroom. And when she returned, she was holding a, a newspaper, an older newspaper, I could tell. It was a newspaper that was published the day after President Abraham Lincoln was assassinated. And she laid that newspaper in my hands. The year was 1865. I was holding on to a piece of history that was at that time 115 years old. Every person that would have read that paper when it was originally printed was already in the grave. It was kind of a, a surreal moment for me. And I came to the conclusion that there was nothing I could do to change those facts. Friends, I realize that there are memories from our past that we would like to change. I realize that there are memories from our past that we wish would have never happened. I believe there are memories from our past that we also want to hold on to. They're very good memories. But please, allow the Old Covenant, as did President Lincoln, to lie in state. Let the Old Covenant lie in repose. It's dead. It's beyond resurrection, friends. Friends, the Old Covenant was assassinated more than 2,000 years ago. We are under a new covenant. We are new creatures in Christ Jesus. The scripture just got through telling us all things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. We become the righteousness of God in him when Christ comes to live in us. You've made that decision. You've asked Jesus to come and take residence in your heart. You've asked Jesus to come and live in your heart. You've asked Jesus to wash away your sins, and he did. And that's when you became the righteousness of God in him. We possess right now 
this moment, not in heaven. Now we possess a copy and paste righteousness of Christ. Identical DNA. Now, some of you might be wondering, what in the world are you talking about with this copy and paste thing? Well, for those of us who have spent any time on a word processor, we understand copy and paste, don't we? You see, your computer has this ability to copy and paste. You can copy everything from one letter to one word to one sentence to one paragraph to an entire document. You can copy a picture. You can copy a file. You can copy a complete folder. But the point is, whatever you copy is exactly the image it will paste in another location when you tell it to paste. In other words, it's impossible to copy the image of a dog and then paste a cat. Just impossible. Because you told your computer, I want an exact copy of that image. And so I would be very surprised if I said, let's copy a horse, and over here I paste a dragonfly. I'd just go, what just happened here? See, it's not the way computers work, friends. And it's not the way God works either. We are an exact image to him that Christ is to him. We have copy and paste righteousness. We look like him. We smell like him. We taste like him. This is the miracle of grace, the undiluted gospel. When I held that newspaper in my hands, I was holding history. But when I hold Christ's righteousness in my heart, I'm holding his story. You see it? That's why he came. He didn't come just to take away our sins because we would get back in trouble again. He came to give us his righteousness. It's a gift, friends. You've already got it. He came to give us his holiness. He came to give us his love. We have his attributes at work, but this is one of those blockers that if people can't get beyond this truth that they have the righteousness of God in Christ, then they'll only act right on days that they're feeling right on. We have his righteousness, friends. I want to ask you a question. Why? Come on. Why is it so hard for us to believe that we could possibly look anything like Jesus to the Father. I mean, does that seem like a stretch? Come on. Really? Me? <laughs> I look like Jesus? Come on. You sure? Why is that so hard for us to believe that? Could it be because we've gotten our identity from a fiction novel? A novel that creates a fantasy world a world where dogs are copied and cats are pasted. I'm talking about a novel that painfully displays the scales of justice. See, everybody wants to weigh you today, measure you today. A novel that concludes that righteousness, oh, you know what, that righteousness is like any other gift, you know. Every gift can be damaged, every gift can be stolen, it can be lost, or it can be repossessed. Friends, our righteousness cannot be damaged, cannot be lost, cannot be stolen, and cannot be repossessed. Jesus' blood 
assures us of this truth. Jesus said that He had not lost even one of those that the Father had given to Him. Our righteousness does not ebb and flow, come and go. We possess a righteousness, listen to me, that endures forever. We have a righteousness that endures forever. It's not on us one moment and off us the next. It's not in us one moment and out of us the next. That's ebbing and flowing, coming and going. This is not the righteousness that we possess. Remember, the old man was crucified with Christ. We are a new creature in Christ, a new creation in Christ. The old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. One of those old things that passed away was self-righteousness. We possess the copy and paste righteousness of Jesus Christ, and we freely scatter this gift of righteousness to the poor. Not only the poor, materially speaking, but the poor in heart. The poor in mind. The people who are stuck under this old covenant mentality. That's the poor, friends. They've not tapped into the richness of Christ that declares, you are righteous once for all. You are holy because of my son that hung on the tree. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 8 and 9, we find these words. And God is able to bless you abundantly. How many of you like that part? And God is able. He's not only able, but He's willing, friend. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that, I love those two words, so that, because it shows you, you know, our response. So that. He's able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, <laughs> having all you need, I love that word all, don't you? All, all, all. Having all you need will abound in every good work as it is written. They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Look at these words. Their righteousness endures forever. Not because we've given gifts to the poor. Righteous because that's what he's put in us. He's taken the old man out. He's given us Jesus' righteousness. That's why the righteousness endures forever. Jesus understood copy and paste righteousness. Oh, he understood it well, friends. And he tried to explain it one day to his disciples, but it was a foreign concept to them. It would be like asking one of you, maybe me, to read some Chinese. I'm just lost. It looks like a bunch of little drawings. It looks like a bunch of little houses, little huts or something. I wouldn't have the faintest thing what you're saying. And when Jesus was talking to his disciples and trying to explain, copy and paste righteousness, it was a foreign concept to them. We see that truth in John chapter 14, verses 8 and 9. This is the exchange between them. Philip said, Lord... Show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Why did they say that? Because Jesus has been talking about his Father relentlessly. Everywhere he goes, my Father, my Father, my Father. When's your Father going to show up? My Father, my Father, my Father. And finally, they just get the nerve up. And they said, Lord, can we see him? Show us the Father. 
And they said, and then that will be enough for us. In other words, we'll just quit asking. We'll just quit begging. Come on, show us the Father. And look at what Jesus said. He said, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, look what he says. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? What was Jesus saying to Philip and Thomas? He was saying, friends, I am the express image of my daddy. If you've seen me, you've seen my daddy. <laughs> There's no difference! I love that. I was thinking about that the other day. I was thinking, God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, it's kind of still a mystery in most people's hearts. It's kind of hard to explain. I mean, I, I don't even like to get into those conversations because it doesn't seem like you can ever win. You know what I mean? But let's just say they are three Persons in one, kind of like we always say three in one, right? Three people expressed differently, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And they're all sitting around campfire and they're just having a conversation. Do you know one is not going to suggest to do something that the other ones wouldn't be totally on board with? They're just always in agreement. You know, we sit around with people and they have an idea and we go, well, I don't know if I like that idea. Somebody might say, yeah, I agree with you. Another person, no, 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 not so fast. These guys are in total agreement. That's why Jesus could say, look, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He's full of healing power. He's full of love. He's full of sacrifice. He's full of mercy. He's full of grace. He's full of righteousness. In fact, if you were to see him, if you're not impressed with me, you won't be impressed with him because we are identical. But if you are impressed with me, well, then you're going to be impressed with him too. There'll be no disappointment whatsoever. Jesus was saying, I am a copy and paste of my father. Copy and paste of his righteousness. Extricating believers from the wreckage of old covenant indoctrination is no easy task. Not because of a shortage of truth made available in the Word, but because people are typically unwilling to walk away from a lifetime of believing a certain way. I don't care what the subject is. Until the day my father died, I've told you this before, but until the day my father died, he believed that the earth was flat and that no man had ever been to the moon. I tried to reason with him, I tried to use logic with him, but it made no difference to him. He would have had to have journeyed into space to see for himself in order to believe it. And so it is with the finished work of grace. Once you've journeyed into grace, the religious tug-of-war rope falls limp. There's no fight anymore! I see it! I see him! I see the gift that he's given me! 
And in those moments where my conduct, my thoughts, my actions are less than perfect, I'm, come on, I'm, on, I'm the only one, right? Come on now. I don't want to know your stuff. You don't want to know my stuff. But there are times, come on, be real with me. There are times where we think things that we shouldn't probably be thinking. And we meditate on them longer than we should have meditated on them. Or we were sharp with somebody or distant from somebody or cold with somebody. Come on. But it's in those moments that I don't need fingers in my face going, you rotten, dirty scoundrel. God gave you all those gifts. No, what I need is to be reminded that I am righteous, that I am loved by my Father. That is what draws the poison out of the bite. Just sucks it right out of there. Part of the insecurities that inhibit change include, now what did I just say? I said there are some insecurities that inhibit us from changing. Part of those insecurities is fear. Fear of what? Fear of the unknown. Fear of the unknown is referred to as xenophobia. It is the fear of anything or anyone that you are not familiar with. Friends, <laughs> through the revelation of grace, we discover perfect love. And in perfect love, the scriptures tell us there is no fear. No fear in perfect love. I love that. Part of the insecurities that inhibit change include the journey of rehabilitation. How many of you know that when the mind goes through a transformation process, even though the end result is glorious, even though the end result is good, there is pain in the journey of letting go. Come on. We don't like to let go of our stuff. Especially the stuff that's on the inside. One of the insecurities that inhibit change is embarrassment. Embarrassment? Yes. How could I have believed something so wrong for so long? Embarrassing almost. One of the insecurities that inhibit change is the admission that the hope that we had dearly held on to throughout our Christian walk and faith had been in nothing more than a placebo gospel rather than in the one true and living gospel, which is Jesus Christ. See, you thought it was all about rules, didn't you? Go have your pizza at a Chinese restaurant today, please. You'll find things that are programmed with no love whatsoever, no compassion whatsoever. It's hard to let go of stuff. Believers don't like it when you mess with their doctrine. You see, our mind is like a file cabinet. And we've got folders in there. And we've got them in our little orders. And when I look at you and say, and I minister a word that takes one of your files and pulls it out, even before I can get it halfway away, you're grabbing your file. 
And so this is what hard rejection is. We hear something that doesn't line up with our paradigm and we just reject it. Give me my file back. We don't like our doctor to mess with even if it's already in a mess. Years ago, I took the liberty of cleaning the desktop of my boss's desk. He had been away for two or three weeks on a sickness and an illness. And when I happened to walk into his office one day, I thought, wow, this desk is a mess. How can you find anything on this desk? And I thought, yeah, I'm going to just be kind and do you a favor. And boy, I straightened that desk up so nice. I was so proud of that desk. Boy, it just looked awesome. Shined it all up, you know, with liquid gold. It looked great, right? How many of you know that my interior decorating skills were not received with grace or appreciation when my boss returned. Come on. We don't like our stuff messed with, do we? We don't like our stuff messed with. You want to test me on this, Bob? Just go home today and take Treva's clothes and put them all in different drawers. I guarantee you'll hear from Treva. Well, there you go. Lord, please allow Bob to forget that. <laughs> we don't like our stuff messed with. You see, in spite of all that rubble, in spite of all that debris on my boss's desk, he had an act for knowing where everything on the top of his desk was at. I had unintentionally sent a message to him that his desk needed rehabilitation. That meant that he would have to learn where everything was at all over again. Friends, this is not the first time I'm going to tell you what I'm about to tell you. I've said this before. This is what happened to me when I came into the revelation of the finished work of grace. I had to go through spiritual rehabilitation. I had to learn how to sing different songs. I had to learn how to pray different prayers. I had to learn how to give differently. I had to learn how to listen differently. I had to learn how to study different. I had to learn to put together a message different. I had to learn how to live a total different way. Because I wasn't looking to laws and rules to govern me. I was looking to the Holy Spirit to just... Give me that gentle whisper as I'm going through my day-to-day -day life. Moreover, my cleaning and uh, organizing skills sent my boss a message that my way was better than his way. I nearly lost my job. He was so mad, even though that was not my end goal. It's the same way with the gospel of grace. The gospel of grace will create zero tension whatsoever as long as you keep your mouth shut. <laughs> but who can contain such freedom? Who can shut up such liberty? And so when we open our mouths, you know what the gospel of grace becomes? To many, a sword. It messes with people's file cabinets. 
Therefore, we have a choice. We can hide our candle under a bushel basket. Or we can stand as a beacon of light so that others might find their way out of organized chaos, organized rubble and debris. I don't know if you're aware or not, but the New Testament is not in chronological order as you read it. Okay? In terms of how the books were written. You see, the Apostle Paul wrote his letter to the Galatians at least 10 years before Matthew, Mark, and Luke wrote their Gospels. We start in the New Testament with Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, letters, Romans, all that. But I'm telling you, that is not the chronological order. And you can find this just by doing an internet search. I'm not telling you anything that is not available for you out there. He wrote the book of Galatians 30 years before John wrote his book, the book that bears his name, the Gospel of John. In other words, the new covenant of grace was laid as the foundation of Christianity by the Apostle Paul, but the Judaizers and the traditions of men made sure that the Christian believers stayed stuck in a different gospel, which the Apostle Paul would say, which is no gospel at all. I'm talking about a gospel that is void of righteousness. Who wants a gospel like that? Remember, I told you, you can only get righteousness from him. Jesus is righteousness. And if you want to work your little laws and be like the robot over there at the restaurant, then fine, go do that. But you are void of righteousness. There is no righteousness from that. Through our political landscape and social media platforms, we have discovered that if you get enough people to repeat so much as even a fragment of misinformation, it can progress from meaningless babble to viral exposure and from viral exposure to unquestionable fact in the hearts and minds of many people regardless if the babble has any truth in it or not. You know that, don't you? You see that happening. How many of you have believed that the handling of a toad will give you warts? It's not true. It's a lie. How many of you have heard that if a penny was dropped from the top of the Empire State Building and hit you right on the head that it would kill you? That's not true either. I remember hearing that when I was a kid. You know why that's not true? Because a penny has a terminal velocity of 64.4 miles an hour. That means that's the fastest it can fall. That's terminal velocity. And if it hit, yes, it would smart. But do you see that somebody picked this up and they made that, don't you be walking on the sidewalk from the Empire State Building. If somebody's up there with pennies, that's it for you. You are toast. It's not true. And so we believe things that are simply not true. You see, friends, I've watched enough baseball and I've seen people, I've seen batters get hit time and time again. And that's a hard ball, much larger than a penny. 
And that hardball is being thrown sometimes as much as 100 miles an hour. And I've seen people get hit uh, on the arms, the legs, the face, everywhere with a baseball. And do you know in the history of Major League Baseball, only one person has ever been killed by a pitch? Only one time, and that was more than 100 years ago. So we hear things and we believe things. We allow them to sweep into our file cabinet. And suddenly, it's just like one of the other files. Friends, this righteousness comes from Christ alone. This grace is from Him alone. No contribution on your behalf. You say, Pastor Mark, okay, I got you. What is your point in all this stuff? My point is that we have believed many things that are not true. And why have we believed so many things that are not true? Because enough people have repeated untruths and fragments of misinformation. In other words, it might have a fragment of truth in it that have moved from benign babble to viral exposure and then reinforced in our minds and hearts as if they were true. Friends, there's nothing new under the sun. One of these fragments of misinformation that the body of Christ has believed is that their righteousness is different than Jesus' righteousness. That is a lie. It is not true. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 14 through 17, we find these words. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Remember who He is? He's the one, friends, that they didn't recognize as human on the cross. This man. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God... God dwelleth in him. That's when he becomes a new creation in Christ. And he in God. So God is in you, you are in God. If God is in you and God is righteous, then righteousness is in you because of God, right? And if you're in God and God is righteous, then you are righteous. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Next scriptures. <laughs> Herein is our love made perfect. Come on. I want to love perfectly, don't you? Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Look at these words, friends. Because this is where the inspiration for this message came from. Because as he is, so are we in this world. As he is, so are we in this world. Not in the by and by. Not when we hit the pearly gates. Not in heaven. This world. We have the fullness of Christ. We have the righteousness of God in Christ. In us now. I want to ask you a question. In light of everything I just walked us through, where are we going to get this boldness to stand before God in the day of judgment? 
because that's what he was talking about. Where would we get this boldness from? Where am I going to get this boldness at? You ever went to for a job interview and you're on the inside shaking like the tin man? <laughs> on the inside, maybe they don't know it, but you know it because you're nervous, right? Because you know they're kind of judging you. They're judging your answers. I've sat before to get jobs, five or six people all at one time interviewing me at one time. And I know it can be a little intimidating. Now, where are we going to get this boldness to stand before God in the day of judgment? Where's it going to come from? Is it through our performance? All the things we performed? No. Is it through our contribution of good works? No. Surely, it must be through our embellishments. No, that's not it either. Maybe it was our giving to the poor because you really said you like that. No, it's not that either, friends. Perhaps it was our obedience to the commandments. Now, there's where it's at. No, it's not there. Or maybe, just maybe, the scales of justice somehow fell into perfect balance. You know, kind of like my good deeds have taken away the weight of my bad deeds. Come on. No, it's not there either. Friends, I want to put us in remembrance of what I said earlier. Our embellishments added to Jesus' finished work of grace are no more than graffiti on the wall and sugar on the cardboard. It's not that these works are not important. Don't get me wrong. But none of these works will position us for boldness in the day of judgment. You say, all right, Pastor Mark, you got me. You painted me in a corner. I give up. What exactly is it then that will bring out my boldness when I stand before him? Friends, please allow me to draw your attention back to the verse you're looking at. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 17. Once again, herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Look at these words. Because as he is, so are we in this world. If I'm like him, how is he in this world? Well, he's full of wisdom. He's full of sanctification. He's full of redemption. And he's full of righteousness. My final scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30. But of him, it's his doing. Are you in Christ Jesus? who was made unto us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Do you see? We have what he has made unto us. Do you remember when it said we were made the righteousness of God in him? We have his fullness. We have everything that he has. Friends, the wonderful truths that reach out to us from the message today are these. I believe that we're all called to be medics for the soul. 
applying triage to wounded hearts and extricating our brothers and sisters from the rubble and the debris brought about through the indoctrination of the old covenant law. Friends, we are what we eat. Therefore, what we eat eats us. Come on. My encouragement is to quit feeding on the fiction novel that suggests that we are less holy or less righteous than Jesus himself. There is zero nutrition in a diet like that. It is sugar on cardboard, that is all. In Christ, we possess a copy and paste righteousness. What he possesses, we possess. This truth alone prepares our hearts to be bold in the day of judgment. Now, our day-to-day performances and activities can be extremely beneficial. And the displays of our love for God and our love for humanity can serve to extricate souls from the mangled wreck of sin. I've seen this happen time and time again when I've been ministering to somebody about this grace and this love of God. Extricate them right out of their sinful past. Friends, We possess the same type, the same quality, and the same measure of righteousness as Jesus. In Him, we have been given perfection, completeness, wholeness, and fullness. All of these attributes are given to us as gifts of grace through faith. The next time you happen to see graffiti on a wall, Or maybe it's a boxcar that's moving along in front of you. I want you to remember how these disrespectful acts of defacing someone else's property are. Moreover, I want you to take a moment and I want you to consider the man who was defaced and disrespected on the cross. I want you to think about the man who came to take away our graffiti called sin once for all. See, you can take a negative and you can turn it right into a positive. I want you to consider the man who was laden with runs and drips and the errors of sinful humanity. I want you to consider the man who was sprinkled and spattered like graffiti, not with a paintbrush, but with his own blood. Isaiah would prophesy of such a man when he declared, See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted, just as there were many who were appalled at him. His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness, so he will sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him. Friends, can you see the love of Christ through those scriptures? Can you see it? Was there a less costly way to do it? Was there an equally effective way to get this job done to procure for us the copy and paste righteousness of Jesus Christ? 
Was there something other than crucifixion? If there would have been, then I know my father would have found it and he would have used it. There were many spectators at the foot of the cross on the day that Jesus was crucified. To most of them, they saw nothing but graffiti. It was like a wall. It was like a boxcar. We've been here. We've done this. We've seen this before. But that's not what John saw. And that's not what the three Marys saw. They didn't see graffiti at all. They saw love reaching out to them. A love that was painted in his own blood the Prince of Peace and the King of Righteousness shedding His precious blood to give us the copy and paste righteousness that He possessed. Father, we thank You so much for this word today. My soul is weeping on the inside. Some of them are happy tears and others are for tears for my brothers and sisters, to see what they have overlooked. They have walked around true righteousness. They have it, but they don't realize how powerful it is. They have this grace because no man is saved but by grace through faith. But they don't understand. They devalue what grace really did for them. Father, we can hold history in our hands any moment of the day. But it takes Jesus and the revelation of his love for us to hold his story in our hearts. And Father, I thank you. I thank you that you're drawing people out of this old covenant mindset. There's nothing that we can do to go back and change those facts. It was a truth at one time. But the old covenant lies in state. It lies in repose. And it will never be resurrected again because Jesus took its place. He was the one that was resurrected. The new covenant was instituted and he began to sprinkle the nations with his righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen.